This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peace Street Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. This morning, however, we're looking at chapter 1 of 1 Peter, beginning in verse 22. Hear the word of God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. Grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures which are able to make us wise unto salvation. And, Father, as we study them this morning, we pray they would do just that. Uh, We pray, Father, if needed, they would bring us to salvation in Christ, faith in Christ. And, Father, having believed in him, that they would build us up to maturity in Christ as we think about them now. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. God intends for people to live in community. Or to put it the opposite way, God does not intend for people to live in isolation. And that community can take any number of forms. Uh, Perhaps first and foremost, the first community we experience is the family. In fact, early on in the scriptures, as God is creating this universe in which we live, there's that repeated refrain And God saw that it was good. And that occurs several times, so it's rather jarring when God has created Adam, and there he is in the Garden of Eden, and the Lord says it was not good for the man to be alone. Not good. That sort of stands out in the midst of it was good. He saw it was good. Well, it was not good. This was not a desirable situation. Now, it's worth noting that's before sin entered the world. Didn't say it was sinful, didn't say it was evil. It just was not desirable for this human being to be isolated. For Adam, that was about as isolated as you could get. He was the only human being in existence on the planet. And so God created for him a, a companion like him, corresponding to him, meet for him, however you want to translate it, someone like him and yet different from him. And uh, you not only had the first marriage in Adam and Eve, you also had the first community. And, of course, it grew from there. We also think of community not just in terms of family, but in terms of a neighborhood, in terms of a city. Talk about the Atlanta community or the Gwinnett community or our neighborhood as a community. 
Uh, and we see people interacting in that situation as well. Now, sometimes that can have a downward tendency. You think of uh, Babel, you know, in Genesis 11, where the people come together and they want to raise up a monument to themselves that will reach to the heavens, make a great name for themselves. But uh, while our sin is there, and sometimes it can be magnified and, and amplified by being together in close proximity, it's also in, usually in the cities that you find the best of culture. The best of human community coming together, as well as its worst manifestations. And uh, it is worth noting that as you progress through the scriptures, you go from the rural garden of Eden to the city of the new Jerusalem. But of course, here in this context also, we think of community in terms of the church. The new community, those who are in Christ Jesus, whether you think of it in terms of a particular congregation as here, or think of it in terms of a denomination, community that is the PCA, or you think about it in terms of the church uh, in the world, all who profess the Lord Jesus Christ together with their children, the church, the visible church in the world, or even if you think about it, the invisible church, all those who truly are regenerate and born again, the, the community of believers in Christ Jesus. Well, it's that community, the Christian community, that Peter is talking about here in this passage that is before us. Remember, he started out by talking about what God has done for us, and then he has talked about uh, our response to that, preparing our minds, living a life of holiness, and so forth. Um, But now he comes to talking about who we are as a community of believers and what that should look like, what that is characterized by. And essentially here in this passage, he talks about three things, three characteristics that mark genuine Christian community. Let's look at what those are. In the first place, the first characteristic of genuine Christian community is love, that we love one another. Look at verse 22. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, he talks here about the basis for this love in Christian community in the first part of the verse. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. The word purified there, we think of of making clean, and it does have that idea of, of purifying our souls by our obedience to the truth. Uh, That could, of course, have reference to obeying the gospel in terms of believing it, which may be something what Paul had in mind in Romans 1.5 when he referred to calling people to the obedience of faith, the obedience being faith in the gospel, as well as the obedience that grows out of that. So it could refer to our coming to Christ, but it's bigger than that. It also has the idea of in Christ then purifying our souls by continuing to obey the truth, being being renewed by the transforming of our minds, obeying the truth and continuing to obey the truth in Christ, and so purifying our lives. It's interesting to note that this word occurs in other places. For example, it occurs in the book of Acts several times, uh, twice in chapter 21, in regard to Paul going up to the temple. But he first, he purified himself before going to the temple, consecrated himself, set apart himself in that way. Uh, this also occurs in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. Uh, John says, when he appears, we'll be like him because we shall see him as he is. And this is verse 3. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he 
is pure. Well, Peter uses that same word here, having purified your souls, which has the idea both of cleansing, but also of consecration. You know, having purified our souls by our obedience to the truth, but as part of that, committing ourselves to Christ, submitting ourselves to his lordship. Purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. That's a strange way to put it. Peter says that we've done this in order to be able to have a sincere, that is a unhypocritical, open, brotherly love. That's the word Philadelphia, like in the city of brotherly love. That's the word he uses here, this brotherly love, a sincere, open, uh, unfeigned, real love. That comes from purifying ourselves in obedience to the gospel, if it's sincere, if it's real. It can't be something we fake. It can't be something we just put on. You see, that's the basis of it, is ultimately obedience to the truth of Christ and believing the gospel and then living in him for the purpose of producing this real kind of brotherly love. That should characterize the church. That's the basis for it. And that is the same kind of love with which Christ loved you and with which Christ loved me. He purified himself in his obedience to God's law. He consecrated himself to the mission the Father had given him. And he loved us with an absolutely sincere, real, unfeigned, genuine love in giving himself for us and dying for us. You know, Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's the new command. If we want to put it this way, the old command was love your neighbor as yourself. The new command is love each other as I have loved you. In, in, in coming for us and giving himself for us and dying for us. So Jesus loved us this way, and now Peter says the same thing, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. That's the basis for it. And we really can't go forward unless you have done that. You really cannot love one another unless you are loving Christ and loving his truth and are obedient to his truth. More on that truth in just a minute. First of all, this love, that's the basis for it. And then he has the command, love one another, because you've done this. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love one another earnestly. The word has the idea of being, of being stretched, of, of laying yourself out, of making an effort, something with energy. It's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 12, where John, the brother of James, or sorry, James, the brother of John, has been put to death by Herod. James has died. Now they've arrested Peter. They've already killed James. Why would they think he would hesitate to kill Peter? And so it says the church was praying earnestly for Peter. It doesn't mean that they just sort of casually, you know, prayed for a couple of minutes. You know, Lord, if it's your will, let Peter be released and spare his life so he could continue to lead your church here on earth. Amen. Now let's go get coffee. No. That, it says they prayed earnestly. They were serious. They, they knew James had died and Peter well could be next, and they were seeing their leaders drop like flies. They were stretching themselves. They were laying themselves out in prayer. Well, that's the same word that is used here, that Peter uses here, to love one another earnestly. You know, John says, let's just not love in word, just not in talk, but in deed and in truth. 
Love requires laying yourself out. It requires stretching yourself sometimes to seek the well-being of another person. And that's what Peter's talking about here. Uh, often the word love, uh, perhaps appropriate to, to mention it on Valentine's Day, has the idea of romantic love. And certainly that, that can be part of real love or feelings or emotion. And certainly that is a part of love. Uh, but biblically, the idea of love is, is much more active. It has the idea of seeking the well-being of the other person, even at cost to yourself. After all, is that not how Christ loved us? Uh, it doesn't mean that Christ had the warm fuzzies for us. It meant that he died for us. He gave himself for us. Now, the, the, the feelings often follow the act. But Peter is talking here about this action. Love one another. Seek the well-being of one another from a pure heart, earnestly from a pure heart. Again, sincere, not hypocritical, but real. So that's the first characteristic that we find here is, is love. And so you have to ask yourself, in the church, in this community, do you love those around you? Do you love one another? Listen to some of these other, other references from Scripture. Uh, we mentioned John 13. Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. Do you love one another the way that Jesus loved you? Uh, that classic description of love, 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul's not talking about marriage. Although it's often read at a wedding service, he's talking about relationships in the church. Certainly applies in marriage, too. But listen to what he says. And think about if this characterizes how you treat people around you in this room or in this church or other, other believers or other people in general. Love is patient and kind Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends or love never fails. Do you love your children that way? Children, do you love one another that way? Do you love your parents that way? And another reference, 1 John 3, 16 through 18, John says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And again, he says, Little children, let us love, not in word or talk, but in deed or truth. First characteristic of a Christian community is love, not a hypocritical pretend love, but a real love, pure love from the heart, based on love for Christ, based on obedience to his word, that results in serving one another, seeking one another's well-being in a way that may bring cost, in some way, time, energy, effort, money, whatever it might be, cost to yourself. Do we love in that way? Ask yourself, do I love in that way? Do I love my wife? Do I love my children? Do I love my fellow believers? In this way. Well, that's, that's the first characteristic of real Christian community. So you can see that a genuine Christian community is more than a mere association. It's not a country club. It's not just a, a gathering of people, but there is the love of Christ that now focuses toward one another on that horizontal level and is at work in our midst. Second characteristic Peter mentions here in a real Christian community is life. Look at verse 23. Since, he says, love one another this way, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. There's that word born again. Uh, we've already encountered it 
here in this passage. Uh, back in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, Peter writes, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's the same word you're familiar with perhaps from John chapter 3, where Nicodemus comes to Jesus and Jesus says, I tell you, to see the kingdom, to enter the kingdom, you must be born again. Characteristic of a real Christian community is that there are people who make up that community who are born again. In other words, who really are Christians. Perhaps you've heard the expression, a born-again Christian. That, my friends, is a pleonasm. That is a redundancy. A Christian, by definition, is born again, and if he's not born again, he's not a Christian. She's no Christian. There's only one kind of Christian, and it's the born-again variety. So, you know, you say born again, you're talking about a Christian. You're talking about a Christian, you're talking about somebody who's been born again. Why? Because as the Bible says, we were dead in our sins. But the Spirit comes along, and just as Lazarus was given life and and came out of the grave at the call of Jesus, you know, just as those bones came together in Ezekiel 37, and the Lord breathes life into them, so he takes your dead, dusty soul spiritually dead, and breathes new life into it, and it says to you, come forth, and you come forth now a new person in Christ Jesus. You were not who you once were. You have been changed significantly, dramatically, truly, really. Whether you had a dramatic conversion experience or not, you know, something like Paul on the Damascus Road, nevertheless, a very dramatic and real transformation, change has taken place in you. So that you have been born to a new life. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is a characteristic of a real Christian community. There are people there who are changed because they now are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes talking to people about looking for a church, maybe moving away, uh, maybe not, maybe just decide they want to go somewhere else, whatever it might be. Several ideas come to my mind about what they should look for. One is they should look for a church where the Bible is preached as the Word of God and as the good news of Christ, because you can preach the Bible in a way that's very much law, in a way that's very deadening, or in a way that's very mechanical, or or in a way that's just very um, guilt-inducing or, or legalistic without the hope of the gospel which is to misuse the Bible. The whole point of the Bible is to give us the good news of a Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, so he can be right with God. Uh, But the Bible can be preached in a way that instead promotes righteousness or or self-righteousness or or legalism or bondage. Uh, But is the Bible preached, one, as the Word of God, and is it preached in a way that communicates the good news of a God who loved us and gave his Son for us in a way that sets us free, where real righteousness can flourish now in Christ? But another thing to look for is, is this church made up of people who love the Lord? Is this church made up of people whose lives have been changed, who love to speak of what Christ is doing in their lives? In other words, people who have been born again. Because you can have congregations made up of people who may give an acknowledgement to the Bible in some way and yet really are not born again. And many don't even understand the gospel. In fact, many might even oppose the gospel. Uh, Is it a congregation made up of people who have been born again? You see, 
Peter says to love each other, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, something supernatural, something that doesn't die. We'll talk about that in just a second. And so that's the, that's the question that we have to ask ourselves here is, have I been born again? Do I know the transforming grace of Christ? Do I know what it is now to live, to make choices out of love for Christ, out of a desire to be obedient to him? Not because I'm hoping I'll make it to heaven somehow, or I know it's just the right thing to do, because Christ has died for me, and I belong to him, and I love him, and I want to serve him and please him, and I know that his way is better than sin. Have you been born again? A a genuine community of believers are made up of people who share that in common. They have had a supernatural experience of the Spirit of God making them alive in Christ Jesus, a new birth. They've gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. So that's the second characteristic. Third characteristic that he mentions here is truth. We have love. There's life. There's also truth, and he dwells on this, uh, second part of verse 23 on into 24. This imperishable seed is the living and abiding word of God. And he he quotes uh, from the Old Testament to verify its permanence from Isaiah 40, uh, that familiar passage, all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass or the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower falls, and they do. I don't know if any of you gave your wives flowers for Valentine's Day. If they're cut flowers, they'll last for a little while, uh, but they'll eventually fade and die. Or if it's a plant, it may last longer, but the plant eventually will, will fade and die. I mean, we see that, we witness that, we know that. Uh, and that's a simple illustration, but it's the one that Isaiah used and one that Peter borrows here, that these things are temporary, they're passing. But, verse 25, the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news, the gospel of Jesus that was preached to you. So what has borne fruit in us is not something that's perishable, not something that fades, not something that lasts a season and then is gone but something that itself is imperishable, the living, permanent Word of God, and it gives birth to this life in us as we hear it and respond to it. Which, by the way, means that the life in us is not something temporary. Remember Jesus' parable of the sower, uh, where you have someone, for example, who receives the Word with great joy, and they seem to bloom and blossom, but in time they fade and they fall away. Why? Jesus says because they had no root. There was no real life in them at all. They were like that cut flower that looks pretty for a while, but then wilts and fades. But not so with the person who's been born of the imperishable word of God. Of course, as the Holy Spirit uses that in our lives. Well, then Peter goes on in not what he thought of, but we have here is chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And these are, these kind of just summarize what we've already seen. They're almost by way of application. And so I want to close with these. It's almost as if it goes back just to remind us of each one. First of all, love. Chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Uh, malice, you know, hostility toward, toward a brother or sister in Christ. Put that away. The word means to strip off, to strip away, like taking off clothes. Put it away. All deceit. We're not to lie to one another, trick one another. Hypocrisy, we're to be genuine, not merely play-acting. Envy, we're not to envy one another. 
and slander. We're certainly not to gossip, to speak ill of somebody, a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, the Bible speaks in cases where they may have, have uh, sinned against you, Matthew 18, to go to the person. You know, talk about them, talk to them. It's putting off slander. So love, he puts, he puts it negatively, some things not to do if you are going to love one another. To put off these things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all slander. Truth. Comes back to truth here, chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Like babies crying to be fed, we are to have that longing, that craving for God's word. Uh, strange word here for spiritual, it's related to the, to the word for word, logos. This is logic, logikos, uh, spiritual uh, or reasonable, could also be a translation of it. Uh, but that's something we long for, something we want. And if you don't have a desire to, to be in God's word, to read God's word, to know God's word, you need to ask yourself, why not? Because he says we're to be like newborn infants, longing for the milk of God's word, so that by it we may grow up to salvation. Not content just to stay at a certain stage, but in being in the word in order to grow in, in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And then also life. And he ends with this, verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, when I read that, it makes me think of uh, something that Paul says in 2 Corinthians Near the end of that letter, chapter 13, verse 5, he says to the Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not, do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And Peter does sort of the same thing here. He's saying these things should be true about you, and they are true about you. Unless, of course, you fail the test, or as Peter puts it here, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, someone who has tasted the goodness of the Lord through their faith in Jesus Christ, through that true rebirth, uh, spiritually speaking, is somebody who will not perfectly but truly love brothers and sisters in Christ. It's someone who will demonstrate the reality of this new life in them. It's someone who will prize and value and spend time in the truth of God's word as he's given it to us in the scriptures. And so I simply leave, leave it with you at this point, the question that uh, Peter raises here, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Are these things true in your lives? Not to say they're perfect, not to say you don't uh, lapse, not to say you don't get discouraged, but do you see evidence of these things in your life? Love for the brothers. A new life in Christ. A love for God's truth. Dear friends, the answer to that, if you don't find those things, is simply to come and taste the goodness of the Lord, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to discover all that God is for you in Christ Jesus, the God who made you, the God who made you to know himself, and the God apart from whom you will never find life to be what it should be until you are in him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that would be true of all of us, that we've all known something of the goodness of the Lord in our lives, uh, great measures of the goodness, Lord, that you have shown to us in Christ and through Christ. Father, we pray that as a community of believers, these things would be true of us. We pray that we would see them demonstrated uh, truly and really in tangible uh, and sincere ways in our lives and our families and in this community 
of believers here at Old Peach Street. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.